We're going to begin this morning with a word of prayer. Um, I want to ask you to remember a lot of, a lot of our family is, um, is sick. Uh, flu is going around like crazy. Um, and I thank God that many of them have just said, we're going to stay home. <laughs> and so I'm thankful that they are staying at home. But we do want to pray for, um, pray for several people in our family. Uh, we were going to do handbells this morning, but there are so many of them out. The cur- there's a lot of them that are out with the flu. So uh, we're not going to be able to do handbells this morning. So hopefully if they're better by next week, they'll be able to do what they have beautifully set up to do. And so um, I'd just be praying for, for all of those. Uh, plus they, they have so much, many ministries going on. they got some that are going Christmas Carol and Wednesday night at the nursing homes and giving out gifts. And uh, so sickness is just trying to step in and ruin a lot of things that people are trying to do to show the love of Christ during the holidays. So we're going to pray for our family this morning. And then also um, ask you to remember Ms. Linda Harwell's father. Uh, we don't know exactly what's going on yet, but she received a call during Sunday school that uh, they were calling the ambulance to take him to the hospital, that uh, he, he, he couldn't feel anything. I think it was on his left side, I think, one or the other. And so um, uh, I know Linda would covet your prayers right now for, for her dad. So um, let's just go ahead and let's just start in a word of prayer with that, please. Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, I'm so thankful that we have a God that can do all things. Lord, you're not something carved out of something created. You, you are the creator. Father, you are, you are before the beginning and you are before the end. Father, you just have always been. You are the great I am. And Father, we come to you this morning because you are our only hope. Father, you created these bodies. Lord, you know why they're cursed. You know why you allow the sicknesses to come. You know why you allow the, the, the curses to, to take over, Father, Lord. And you always have purpose in everything that you do. So, Father, I'm just asking you to, to give all of us faith to trust you through whatever it is that you allow to come our way. But, Father, I'm also asking that, Lord, you would heal these bodies. Father, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Christ came to purchase the redemption for us. He's already bought it. It's already been paid for. And I know that our faith is in the future and our faith is when this mortal body goes back to the ground that we will spend eternity with you. But God, I also know that you you allow us to see some of the first fruits of that redemption right now, right here. And so, Father, I'm asking you, Lord, that if it be your will that, Lord, Linda's father would be okay. Lord, that it would be uh, no issues. Um, Father, I know that his his body has went through a lot here lately. But God, I'm just praying that we would be able to come back and just be able to praise you for what you have done, that you heard our prayer, Father. But Lord, I pray that you also give us faith to trust that sometimes you choose for the thorn to remain. And if you choose for that to take place, Lord, you are still good. Whether you give or whether you take away, your name is blessed and you are good. So Father, we're giving you our cry this morning and we're asking you to, to take care of Linda's father. We pray that, that it would be evident that his body is in your hands and yours alone. And Father, I pray this morning for all of those in our family that are sick, uh, the ones that are recovering, that are back today, uh, but still recovering. Father, Lord, I pray for those. And, and Father, I, I pray especially for the ones that are at home suffering this morning with flu or whatever it is that they're dealing with, God. Lord, that's a, a, that's a terrible suffering. And I pray for them this morning. And I ask you, God, that you heal their bodies, that they would be able to to get back to their, their needed and wanted health, that they can get out and minister for you. 
Father, I, I'm so thankful to see the ones that have came in and set up just to try to, to minister for your glory's sake, for your praise sake, uh, to be able to go out and, and, and sing to those that are shut in and that are sick. Uh, Father, you said that one of the ways we're going to stand before you is that, is that we're going to give an account for how we served you and how we loved others. And, and Father, I thank you that they take that seriously and that, Lord, that, that when you were sick, they came and they visited you. But right now, sickness is hindering them. So, Father, I'm praying, Lord, that you get them back to their health so that they're able to get back out and serve you and be able to show your love and everything that, that, that you have done for them in their lives. Father, I thank you so much for this family and for what they mean to us. I pray this morning that everything that's already been said and done and sung, prayed, given, whatever has took place, Father, I pray that it's been pleasing in your eyes. I pray that you look down and you're happy with what you see. Father, this is the body of Christ. This is, this is what you died for. Yes, you died for individuals, but you died for this family, for, for, for bodies, for people to join together. And Father, when, it, when we're not all here, it's not the same. So Father, I'm asking you that you would take care of our family this morning. I'm asking you that you would bring us all back to that good health so that we can get, be together again and so that we can minister uh, and serve you the way that you deserve, God. And Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Lord, lead us throughout the rest of this service, and I pray that everything that is said out of my mouth from the Scriptures, I pray that it all is inspired by you. Lord, if it ain't inspired, then just leave it alone. But Lord, if it's inspired, and I pray that you send it out, and I pray that you change lives, you change hearts today with us. Father, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for your ministers. Thank you for this family. Father, we owe everything that we are, everything that we have to you. We love you, and we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to continue our Advent celebration. We're going to ask Ms. Rose Thompson to come on up. Ms. Rose is going to read your scripture this morning. She's going to be reading from the book of Luke chapter 1. And she's going to read verses 5 through 25. I ask you to pay attention to her because she's going to be reading a story that you're going to need the context of in order to better understand the message this morning. Is the yellow mic on? Okay. There you go.
of my kids that made ornaments this morning, we're going to put them on this tree. So come on up. You got Carissa? Um, I got an angel that says God has given us a child with eyes. Mm -hmm. Just a Isaiah nine verse six. You have Miss Terry. We had a snowflake that had the colors of Jesus on it. That had the colors of Jesus? Of faith. Of faith? Okay. All right. What you got? Baby Jesus. A what? Baby Jesus. She's got a baby Jesus. What you got, Toby Mac? Baby Jesus. Baby Jesus? Well, hang it up there. In the manger. In the manger. Okay. All right, now all that are in Children's Church, y'all follow Miss Keela out. I hope that y'all are able to see the, the, the point in all of this. And, and the point in all this is with the kids, it helps them to be able to actually give purpose to their celebration. And it helps train their minds to understand this is what we're celebrating in Christmas time. So um, I, I pray that you see what, what, what is taking place there. That'd be my boy right there. <laughs> all right. We're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 1 again. And to just kind of finish up the story from where Ms. Rose read, we're going to read verses 57 through 79. Luke chapter 1, verse 57 through 79. And as is our tradition... I would ask you to stand to give reverence in reading the living and powerful Word of God. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 57. This is what it reads. <clears throat> now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives are called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. 
And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, or he sung. He actually sung this. And he sung this, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from all our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet, into the way of peace. You can be seated. This morning we, um, we continue our Advent um, playlist, I'm going to call it. Um, those of you that um, uh, listen to any music, you got your playlist. Well, we're going through some Advent songs, and we're looking at all the songs that were sung whenever, the, uh, whenever Christmas came. Whenever they got the message of the gospel, the message that Jesus would be born or had been born, they all sung a song in some way. And so last week, last week we started our playlist with Mary's song. This week we moved down to, uh, to um, side two. We're going to flip the tape for those of you that remember that. We're going to go to side two and we're going to listen to Zechariah's song. And we're going to talk about uh, Zechariah's life. We're going to talk about his relationship with God. We're going to talk about his response to Christmas and what that looked like. And so hopefully, the hope is that you can find something that can apply to your life from this song so that when Christmas comes to you, or as we grow closer to celebrating Christmas, the hope is that you get something from what they got that helps inspire true, genuine worship from you. Because see, here's what I want, and I think this is what you want. I want Christmas to be a meaningful time for me. Not just because of family and gifts and the, the seasonal things, but I want Christmas and the birth of Christ to mean something to me so that it's not just lip service, but instead it is genuinely felt from my heart. And so that whenever I come and I give Him praise on Sunday morning for the birth of His Son, it's just like Mary's song, or it's just like Zechariah's song. It wasn't something I had to memorize and recite, or I had to learn, or something I thought that just sounded pretty. But instead, I have genuine thankfulness pouring out from me for the glory of God and what He has done to me through His Son, Jesus Christ. So first, let's look at a little bit about Zechariah's life. Don't get bored with me. Try your best to pay attention to what I'm saying, because all of this context is going to be vital to you understanding more about Zechariah's song. So first thing you need to know about Zechariah, he was a priest. 
Now a priest was one who interceded between man and God. Before Jesus came, you couldn't just come to church and just stand before God. Before Jesus came, you had to stand out in the courtyard so in here in the sanctuary you would not have been welcome because there was something between you and God. And so in this day you would have had to stay out in the courtyard and then you would have gave your worship and your prayers to the priest and then this priest who had been ordained by God and God had chosen then he would have came in to what this would have been, that we would have called this the holy place, and he would have offered up your prayers by burning incense. And when he burned incense, the smoke would rise up from it, and the smoke was a, was a symbol of your prayers being offered up to God. And that was the only way that God received your prayers. And so this was taking place. And then inside the sanctuary, this was the holy place, there would have been a veil. Let's say the stage is where the separation starts. And there would have been a veil right here that went straight across. And no one could go behind that veil except the most high priest. And even then, only once per year in order to make atonement for your sins. So you came daily praying, daily asking for forgiveness, daily offering sacrifices of thanksgiving and daily offering peace offerings and daily you came asking this priest to go to God on your behalf because you can't get there on your own because of your sin. And so this priest, he comes in and he burns incense and he offers the prayers of this people. Now, his job is to intercede between the people. His job is to take the word of God and inspire the people to keep their hope renewed in God. But this is a tough time for a priest. Uh, one of the things you would, might remember it when, when um, Rose read was that he was a priest in the days of Herod. So here we have an issue. Well, why is that? Well, they're in Roman captivity. All right. So in other words, they're not free to just live as Jews and do what they want. They're under Roman captivity, but the Romans have set up their own king and they have, they have brought on Herod the Great to be the king over the Jews and he is allowing the Jews to at least practice the majority of their faith and their law as long as it don't conflict with Roman expansion, as long as it don't cause disruption in the peace. But instead, as long as they're towing the line and they're walking straight, then this king is okay with what they've done and the Romans have set him up. But they didn't set up a good godly king. They set up a king that was an evil king. They set up a king that his most notable crimes were he murdered three of his own sons. This is one of his most notable crimes. He also murdered his mother-in-law. He murdered his, um, his second wife. You might remember from the story of Matthew that when the wise men came and asked King Herod, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? He said, well, I don't know, but if you find him, come back and tell me because I want to go worship him. But do you remember what he did when the wise men didn't come back because God warned them in a dream not to, not to come back? He sent word to have a massacre of all of the children that are two years of age and under, all the boys, 
that are two years of age and under in all of Bethlehem and all the surrounding regions. And so there was a massacre of all of the innocent baby boys that was taking place by King Herod right here. He is known for his, his evil ways. He brought Roman um, gods into the mix of Jewish tradition or of Jewish law. He built statues to, to the Roman gods. He built temples to the Roman gods. And so this was a tough time for a priest whose job was to maintain the law of God and to intercede for people who all the influence around them is not good and even their own king is not good, but instead is evil. It's a dark time to be a priest. The second reason, uh, I've only got two reasons why it was tough for, Isaiah, uh, for Zechariah to be a priest is because it had been 400 years since the last prophet. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. He's a priest of God who his job is to intercede for the people on behalf of God. He's supposed to talk to God for the people. But it's been 400 years since anybody's heard a word from God. How hard is it to be a preacher when God ain't talking? How hard is it for you to be a Christian when God ain't talking? This priest right here was living in a very dark time. Not only that, but... They were supposed to be the nation that God chose to show the world who He was through. They were supposed to be the ones that really the first ones to carry the gospel, but instead they've been in constant captivity and only moments of peace in between for thousands of years. You might remember they first ended up in Egypt, but then God raised up a deliverer and Moses brought them out of Egypt and everything was great after that, right? No, now they're in a wilderness. And while they're in this wilderness, Moses is trying his best to guide them and lead them. I don't think that's Moses. They're trying. Y'all give them a minute. They're panicking. Listen, let me tell you what's going on in the room right here. There is panic setting in like you ain't never seen in all your life. Hey, uh, Mark, Mark, just mute it. Everything on the board is muted. God, hey, listen, God wants y'all to see this for some reason. Exactly. Y'all give it up for the media guy. Now here's what I want to know, now that that's gone. What exactly were they watching up there? I don't know. It's like somebody had control of that. All I know is that's the loudest TV I've ever heard. Uh, let me get back to where we were. Here's, what, here's the point you need to understand. They, were in, they, they had been in captivity with Egypt, correct? Moses brought them out, but Moses wasn't the deliverer because all of a sudden Moses dies on a mountaintop. Then Joshua picks up. He brings them out of Egypt into the promised land, but then they end up in captivity to all the enemies that Joshua didn't kill, the Cushites, the Moabites, the Canaanites, the Midianites, Ammonites, Philistines. All of these end up, they end up in captivity. And every time they end up, God raises up a deliverer 
You think about it, Moses was the first one, Joshua was the second one, Caleb, Joshua's brother, was the one that delivered them from the Cushites. When you read all through the Judges, you'll read of Deborah and Barak, and you'll read of Ehud, and then you'll read of Samson. I'm sure most of you remember Samson, right? So every time God raises up a deliverer, and every time a special male child is born, they're expecting that this is the one. This is the one. And sure enough, hopefully some, something happens to where he delivers them physically, but then sinfulness takes over and they end up in captivity again. And this has been going on and on and on and on and on. And now here they are in Roman captivity with no word from God in over 400 years. So there is great potential. If you're a preacher and you ain't heard from God your entire life, how long are you going to keep preaching? This is a tough time for somebody like Zechariah, who is a priest. But even still, the Bible tells us that he was blameless in the law of God and that he stayed true to God. And so I want you to see the commitment that Zechariah has here, even though, even though all the odds are stacked against him as a priest. He was a son of Aaron, a Levite. These were the only ones that were authorized by God himself to be a priest or an intercessor for the people. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 4, you actually have a um, scripture that tells us that no one takes the honor of being called a priest on for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. The only way you could become a priest is if you were of the children of Aaron. You had to fall in this lineage right here. And then, not only was he a child of Aaron, but he had married a daughter of Aaron. If you go back to where Rose read, he was a son of Aaron, and he married a daughter of Aaron. It's kind of like a preacher's kid marrying a preacher's kid. You expect either some very bad things to come out of that or some very good things to come out of that, right? And so this is kind of what was happening right here was that they had all the ingredients for this deliverer, for this child to be born to them. So I can imagine that whenever they first got married, Everyone was congratulating them. And one of the blessings would have been, may she bear you many sons. And the reason why sons were such a big deal in the Old Testament was because they were waiting on the deliverer, on the Messiah, the one that would save them from the curse. And so they were always praying, even the women. They wanted sons, not because they had to have daughters too, because you ain't going to have sons without daughters. But the reason why sons were so important to them was because they knew that the one that would come that would save them from all of their enemies and that God had promised was going to be a son, the offspring of a woman. You know the story. Adam and Eve, they're living in a perfect world. They're walking with God, literally. Not like we think of it. Literally walking with God. Everything is perfect in this place. There's no sorrows. Imagine this if you can for just a moment. That, that there would be no possibility of sorrow ever coming your way. That there would be no possibility of any suffering that you would ever have to endure. You don't even know what it is. There's no possibility of any pain. There's no possibility uh, uh, of any trials. Everything is exactly as it should be. But then steps in Satan in the form of the serpent. And he tempts Eve to eat from the one tree that God has forbade them to eat from. You remember what that tree was? The knowledge of the tree of good and evil. All right, the only tree. And when they ate from this tree, you've heard me say it many times, basically here's what they said. 
They said, God, I know because we don't have this knowledge, we've had to depend on you for our every move, for knowing what to do and what direction to take, which way we need to be guided. We just look to you and you tell us what to do and that's what we do. So when they ate from this tree, they were saying, we don't need you anymore. Remember, the serpent actually told them, the only reason God don't want you to eat from this tree is because he don't want you to be like him. But you can do it. You can decide for yourself. And so when they ate from the tree, they said, God, we don't want you anymore. Think about it. That's exactly what they said. That bite that they took from whether it was an apple, a pomegranate, we don't know what it was, but when they did it, in essence, what they were saying is, God, we don't need you. God, we don't want you anymore. We appreciate all that you've done for us, but guess what? We can take it from here. And whenever you walk away from the source of your life, the only thing left is death. If you are dependent on a breathing machine to keep you alive, and you take that breathing machine off and throw it away, what's going to happen to you? Your only option is to die. And so whenever you say to the source of your life, I don't need you, I don't want you, we've got this, and you walk away from it, the only thing left is death. And so here we come into the curse. And so everything falls from God's grace of all this perfection to pain, to suffering, to sorrow, to death. But God approaches Satan first. Now this is important. Whenever you go back to Genesis chapter 3, uh, verses uh, 14 and 15, God, he knows what's happened, and he calls them all to give an account. But instead of approaching Eve and Adam first, he takes a different order to the things. He goes to the serpent first. And I believe the reason he does this is because he wants Adam and Eve to have hope before they experience the crushing blow of the curse that they are now under. And so he says to them, uh, go with me to Genesis chapter 3, Tim, verses 14 and 15. I may not have gave you that one. Yeah, there you go. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put, listen to this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Here was the first introduction, the tidbit of the gospel that came in and they said, listen, this is what every Jew would have remembered. They would have remembered that there was a time that as the children of God there was no curse but I remember what he told Eve when the curse came. I remember what he told Satan. He said, from this woman's offspring is going to come one that's going to crush your head. And he will reverse the curse. And so this was the dream of all Jewish newlyweds from here on out. Their dream was that the next child is going to be the one that is going to deliver us, that is going to save us from all of this curse. And, but it, and this is why in Genesis chapter 4 verse 1, go to that one for me Tim, this is the reason why now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and she bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. This is the reason why she was excited. Some versions actually say, I've gotten a son. 
The reason she was excited about this child was because now the prophecy is going to be fulfilled. We have messed everything up and our sin has caused everything to fall. But now is going to be the time that the deliverer comes and this is him. And then she has another son, Cain and Abel. But did anybody remember what happened? Was that when the deliverer? No, she ends up with one dead and one murderer. So all of a sudden, the hopes are crushed again. Where do we go from here? But then the Bible tells us that God gives her another child named Seth. And then she, maybe, maybe she's saying that, 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 that Seth is going to be the one. Go to Genesis 4 verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another. God has appointed me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. So again, we see this this repetition of hope and dreams crushed and hope and dreams crushed all throughout because of this curse. But God wants us to know and understand that I will keep my promises even if it don't come in the timeline that you think it should come. And so Seth is born and she thinks well, maybe this is the one. But how many of you know that instead of Seth being the one, they turn out that the world grows more evil and more evil. But then Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. And Noah is going to be the one to save the world. And he does. And everything is perfect again, right? What happens when Noah gets off the boat? God destroys 99.99% of wickedness so that there's only just a little bit left. And Noah gets off the boat. And what do we do? Noah gets drunk. And then he gets so drunk that he passes out that one of his children walk in and see him naked and he becomes cursed for the rest of his life because of Noah's decision and what he's done. And here we go with this routine all over again. We thought, we thought Cain would be the one. We thought Abel might be the one. We thought Seth might be the one. We thought Noah might be the one. And then... We keep on going and we end up with Abraham. Abraham finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then Abraham has Isaac, the promised child. And then uh, Isaac has Jacob, who is going to have the 12 tribes of Israel. And now we're headed to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land where God is going to be our God and, and, and He's going to be our people. And then Abraham becomes a liar. And Isaac becomes a liar. And Jacob becomes a liar. And then Jacob's sons sell Joseph into slavery. And then there's a famine. And instead of going to the promised land, we're going to Egypt just to survive. But then Joseph rises up. And Joseph must be the one, right? Because now Joseph is Pharaoh and he is king of Egypt. Y'all see the pattern here? But then what happens when Joseph dies? They end up in 400 years of slavery. But then God hears their cry, and then he sends Moses, and Moses finds grace in the eyes of God. But then Moses murders somebody. But then when Moses is 80, God finally calls him back with a burning bush, and Moses comes and he delivers them with great signs and wonders from the promised land, and they cross the Red Sea and they get into the wilderness, and Moses is the one. But then Moses ain't the one because Moses ends up dying on a mountain before they even get into the promised land. But then Joshua, whose name actually translates as Jesus, 
Then Joshua steps up and Joshua must be the one. He's the one. Finally, the deliverer is here and Joshua leads them into the promised land, but he don't obey God because he don't kill off the enemies like God told him to do. And they come in and they end up worshiping and serving the enemy's gods and then they fall and God leads them into captivity again. And then Joshua dies. But then the judges are raised up and you got all these deliverers that are raised up and this, th then you got David that comes on saying, a man after God's own heart. But then he kills one of his best friends so that he can have his wife for himself. <laughs> He's a murderer. He's an adulterer. He's a prideful person. So David's not the one. But during all of these things, here's what you've got. You've got these little tidbits that are dropped all throughout these stories. And God says, listen, I know Moses was not the one, but I'm going to send you a prophet even greater than Moses. And then he says, I know Joshua wasn't the one, but I'm going to send you a victor even more victorious than Joshua. And he says, I know David was not the one, but I'm going to send you a king that will sit on the throne for all eternity and it will come from his lineage and from his seed. I am still going to keep my promises. And so this was the hope of all of the Jewish newlyweds, whether they were men, whether they were women, they were looking for the son, the deliverer, that God was going to send to defeat Satan, to defeat sin, to defeat death, to remove the curse and make all things back to where they were before we fell in to where we are now. But now here we are 4,000 years later in Luke chapter 1. 4,000 years have passed, guys. God promised this thing 4,000 years ago. And for 400 years, he ain't even said a word. He's just been silent. But now we have this Zechariah and Elizabeth. And I want you to get this because you can go back and you can study it in any dictionary. You can find it anywhere you want to. This is the truth. Even their names reflect that God has not forgotten because Zechariah is a Hebrew name that literally means God remembers. Write that down somewhere. Zechariah is a Hebrew name that literally means God remembers. And then Elizabeth is a Hebrew name that before this ever happened, before their parents even named her this, Elizabeth was a Hebrew word that meant God promises or God's oath. So put the two together, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and here's what you get. God remembers God's promises. God remembers God's oath. And even though it's been 4,000 years and all the odds are stacked against you because the world is in a mess worse than it's ever been, his people are in a mess worse than they have ever been. His priests are in a mess worse than they've ever been because they can't even get a word from God. But then God, through this little tidbit, He reminds people, I still remember my promise that I made 4,000 years ago. And I'm still going to fulfill it. And all the ingredients were here for Zechariah and for 
for uh, Elizabeth. And that's the reason why in Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through 7, you can feel the pain of this. I want you to feel the pain because, again, every Jewish person was waiting on this. They were waiting on the Messiah. And this is what it says. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God. They were from, they were from the line of Aaron. They were both righteous before God. And then he says, they walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but then feel the pain of verse 7. But they had no child. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. Why do you think the Bible tells us that? They were both advanced in years. They had no child and it was too late. Do you hear what they're saying? But this was a priest. Surely he had heard about Abraham, right? Surely he knew this could take place. But it's been four, It's actually been 2,000 years since Abraham. It's been too long. God, God don't work that way anymore, right? It's been too long. But one day, Zechariah, he... He drew a lot. See, back then they had so many priests that they had to draw lots to determine who was going to actually come into the holy place. And Zechariah drew the lot to be able to come up and offer the prayers to burn incense for the people. This was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This wasn't something that was going to happen all the time, but God don't have no coincidences. He means for Zechariah to be in this, in this temple. So Zechariah comes in to make intercession on behalf of the people and he's burning incense and the people are standing outside with their faces to the ground praying along with Zechariah while he's in here and they're wondering what's taking him so long. But Zechariah's been held up by something. The angel Gabriel stands up in front of him and he actually tells him in summary that you're going to have the child that you've been praying for and he's going to go before the Savior, the Messiah, and He's going to make ready the people and He's going to prepare the way of the Lord and He fulfills a 400-year-old prophecy that Malachi spoke back when God was the last speaking to them. And with all of this taking place, the question I want to answer this morning, and I've only got two answers for it, is how did Zechariah respond to the message of Christmas? Because this is where we're going to determine how it applies to us. Well, here's the first way he responded. In doubt. <laughs> in doubt. And rightfully so. Because the truth of the matter is, it's been 4,000 years. It's been 2,000 years since Abraham's promise. And listen, God, you don't understand something. We're old and we're advanced in years. And I know that we prayed for this. The Bible actually says that, that he prayed for his wife to have a child because this is what they wanted. They had all the ingredients, but they had no child. And now it's too late. It, it, it can't take place. It, it, if you look in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, it says, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you to bring you this good news, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. And here's why. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their 
time. So for the next nine months, here's what Gabriel says. Here's your sign. You want a sign? Listen, you are the priest of the Most High God. You know what God has done through Abraham, but yet you have already given up on, it, given up on His promise? You, here, here you are standing in doubt, but you know what? Here, here's what I drew from this. Zechariah didn't even realize that he had doubt until God came to him and told him, here's what I'm going to do. And then all of a sudden the doubt rises to the surface. Well, here's what I want some of y'all to understand. You don't realize it right now, but it's been 2,000 years since Christ died, was buried, and rose again. And there are some of you this morning that the reason why you can't celebrate Christmas when the message comes is because you doubt it. It's because you don't actually know whether or not you believe it or not. And so here's my recommendation to you. Maybe Advent for you needs to be a time of prayer that you literally humble yourself before God. Not just a one-time thing if it's this morning, but I'm talking about from here, day after day after day, and you tell God, God, I want to have such full assurance in me that when I hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, it brings forth rejoicing from me because I believe it with all of my heart. And because I understand it, I want that. I want that more than anything. See, here, here's the thing about it. God removed all of Zechariah's doubt. And that's what I think that we need to see this morning, is that those of you that doubt... You don't have to admit it to me, but you know who you are. Those of you that deal with doubt in any shape, form, or fashion, you need to understand that God can remove that doubt. But it is a supernatural thing that takes place. Remember, all the odds were stacked against Zechariah. He had every reason to doubt. There are people here this morning that doubt because of the things that are stacked against you. You look at yourself and you don't see somebody that that, that God can save, you're too far gone. You may be sitting in the church this morning. There are some people that won't even come through the door and, and, and on that Sunday morning because as far as they're concerned, they're such a sinner and God is so disappointed in them and there is just no way that the God... Listen, you're still looking at your strength and your ability. You're forgetting that this has nothing to do with your strength and your ability. But instead, this has everything to do with God's strength, with God's call, and with God's ability to what He can do in your life. And so my prayer is that if you're a doubter, maybe this is the Christmas that you ask God to remove all your doubt. This is the reason why in Luke chapter 1, verse 67, He starts singing, and he if you were to go all the way down through there, I'm not going to read them all, but this is the reason why He moves from doubt to verse 68, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. As far as Zechariah is concerned, it's already done. But you know what's funny about this? Jesus is not born yet. But as far as Zechariah is concerned, this is done. And so it moves him to do the impossible. I know I make a joke about this a lot, but I'm not meaning this to be funny when I say this, all right? I'm meaning this to be serious. If you get a kick out of it, that's fine. But Zechariah is deaf and he's, uh, uh, he is 
dumb and he's probably deaf because whenever they asked Elizabeth what his name is going to be, she said he's going to be John. And they said, no, wait a minute. Everybody's supposed to name him after their father. He should be called Zechariah. So they go to John and they make signs, or they go to Zechariah and they make signs to him. Well, if he wasn't deaf, why didn't they speak to him? But they make signs to him. What shall his name be called? And John asked for, or Zechariah asked for a piece of paper and he said, His name is John. That's who he is. But before that takes place, Zechariah is both deaf and he's dumb. And as far as we know, Elizabeth ain't seen no angel. So here we are, we got a deaf and a dumb man that's a, a good man of God. He's advanced in years, probably 70, 80 years old more than likely. And now he has to go home and if he believes what the angel has said, you understand what he has to do next, right? So he has to go home and he can't speak, he can't hear, and I'm just thinking he just has to look at his wife and go, <laughs> and I can just imagine that she's looking back on. <laughs> but somehow or another, Zechariah believed enough that it moved him to do the impossible. <laughs> That's the truth of it. And it moved him to do it even though he didn't know whether his wife was going to understand. He didn't know whether she got any message from any angel. And so it, it moves you. And that's what I want you to understand this morning. When you ask God for the, to remove your doubt, you're going to know when he does it. Because it will move you to do the things that you thought were impossible for you to do. For those of you that thought it was impossible for you to forgive, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be able to forgive. For those of you that thought it was impossible for you to turn the other cheek, guess what you're going to be able to do? You're going to be able to turn the other cheek. You'll know when you believe because it will move you to do what you can't do in your own strength. So my prayer is that maybe you ask God this morning, you say, God, listen, I know that my belief is not where it should be because if it was, I'd have the boldness to speak the way that I should. Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 4? He said, listen, we got the same spirit of faith that the psalmist had. Here's what the psalmist said. I believe, therefore I spoke. So we believe, therefore we speak. Maybe this morning the reason why you don't have the boldness to speak about the gospel of Jesus Christ to others, maybe the problem is you've still got some doubt. I'm, I don't know that. I'm just saying maybe that's the problem. And if it is, then maybe this is the morning that you actually start crying out to God, God, I want the doubt removed. Whatever it takes. I pray you don't have to go deaf and dumb to get it. <laughs> but you know what? If that's what it takes in order for the doubt to be removed, is it worth it? You better believe it's worth it. And so my prayer to you is that maybe the reason that you can't celebrate Christmas is because there's doubt in your heart and you don't believe the way that you want to believe or the way that you should believe, even though it's been 4,000 years. The last thing, this is the way Zechariah responds to Christmas. He sings about a light that shines on the darkness. Look at uh, Luke chapter uh, 1, verse 78 and 79. <clears throat> now there are several things in here. I'm only pointing at the two that I think stand out the most um, to me this morning. 
But he says, to give light, or because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Here's what Zechariah knows. He knows that Christ is going to be the true light of God, and He's going to expose all of our darknesses, and He's going to give us the power to make war on those darknesses, John chapter 3 verse 19, 19 through 21 says this, And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people love the darkness more than the light because their deeds were evil. Go to verse 20. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Here's the point that I want to get to this morning. There are some of you that will not be able to celebrate Christmas this morning because you are still sitting in darkness. You have not allowed the light of Jesus. Or maybe this, maybe it's not that you're sitting in complete darkness, but there are some of us in this day and time as Christians that have become so okay with certain sins that we'll sit in that darkness instead of allowing the light of Jesus to expose it. And let me tell you something about it. It hurts when Jesus exposes you sin, don't it? It don't feel good. It's, it's embarrassing sometimes. It's shameful sometimes. But if you're going to celebrate Christmas and you're going to celebrate the gospel, you've got to let the light shine on your darkness. You have got to allow Him to expose your sin. See, that's the thing about it. Even though there may be some in here that's sitting in complete darkness, I believe that a big majority of us in here are at least sitting in some darkness that He means to expose in our lives. But we've made covenants with it. We've made deals with it and arrangements with it. We've said, you know what, I'm going to let you stay because I've taken care of all this and I'm doing all this, but I'm going to hang on to this one, my secret sin, the one that nobody knows about. And let me tell you something. According to Zechariah's song, the light has come to shine on those who sit in darkness, but they're also sitting in the shadow of death. Because sin in your life, any sin that you cling to so tightly, listen to this very carefully, guys. Any sin that you cling to so tightly that you love more than the light brings judgment on you and that judgment will always result in death. The evidence that you are saved and the evidence that you are a Christian is that God is making a new creation out of you and that you do not love any sin or any darkness more than you love the light because you know what the darkness brings you. It brings you death and you know what the light brings you. The light brings you life. And if you love the darkness more than you love the light, it will be evident that you never received the gospel to begin with. Now that's tough. That's hard. But that's the truth this morning. So my prayer is that whatever sin it is that you're clinging to so, to, so tightly, listen, you, you've got one somewhere, I'm sure, and you just don't want to let go of it. You don't want to turn loose. You need to this Christmas sit down and say, God, I want the light to shine on my darkness. I want it exposed. I want it out. And I want to 
make war on this thing so that I don't sit in the valley of the shadow of death anymore, but instead I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And as long as I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death and not sitting in it, I will fear no evil. You know why? For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of all of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I won't sit in the shadow of death, but I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is what Zechariah is channeling right here, and he's reminding us that if you let the light, Jesus Christ came to shine light on your darkness. And if you will let him do it, and you'll let him expose it, he will give you the strength to make war on it. Listen, when Jesus said, if your right hand offends you, cut it off, for it is better for you to enter heaven with only one hand than to enter hell with two, he wasn't talking about literally cutting off hands. He was saying that you have to see the sin in your life that besets you as so serious that you will make war on it to the point that you'll cut it off no matter what it is because it's darkness and it will only bring me to sit in the shadow of death. But if you'll get up and you'll in His strength make war on what He exposes in your life, He'll send you walking through this valley of the shadow of death. But during that, you'll fear no evil, for he's with you. With his rod and his staff, he'll comfort you. Notice what he says, and this is my ending in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 79. Luke chapter 2, verse 79. He says, He came to give light to those who sit in darkness and to those who sit in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. His whole purpose is to give you a light to guide your path so that you can find your way back by following Jesus Christ into peace with Almighty God. And unless you allow that to take place, you will not be able to celebrate Christmas. Instead, you'll go into it depressed. You'll go into it thinking about how unworthy you are. And the whole problem is that you're not trusting Him to shine the light on your life so that you can be guided back into His path, into His peace. Out of Zechariah's song this morning, I pray that you have found something that you deal with. Is it doubt? Listen, God can remove your doubt. And he will remove your doubt, just like he did Zacharias, to the point that he will move you to do the impossible. Do you think for one second me or Nick King ever thought we would be a preacher of the gospel? Not even for a second did I ever think I would be a preacher. But I am today because he removed my doubt. And he will, I, I may have just scared some of them off right there. But listen, if God removes your doubt, he may not make you a preacher. But he is going to guide you into his path of peace. And so my prayer this morning is that God removes your doubt and that you will allow him to shine his light on your sin, on your darkness, so that he can lead you out of whatever it is that keeps you separated from him. If y'all would stand this morning. <clears throat> Verse 
you know, I want you to feel while they're coming, I want you to feel what it would have been like for these Jews to have been waiting on the deliverer. Because that's the same kind of anticipation I'm trying to build in you. See, some of us have become so content with the darkness that they think that this is where we live. <laughs> Guys, this is not our home. This is not where we live. And so I'm praying that there is an anticipation on you that you're waiting that every night that goes by, this could be the night that he comes back. I know it's been 2,000 years, but this could be it. You know, I don't think it's coincidence that it was 2,000 years from Adam to Abraham, 2,000 years from Abraham to Christ, and now it's been 2,000 years from Christ to now. Could it mean something? It could. It may not. One thing I know for certain, whether it's been 4,000 years, if he promised it, he's going to keep his promise. Advent is meant to make you ready for it. Whatever your need is this morning, come.